Pat, what do you mean? What The Chiefs are in the fucking Super Bowl again. How many weeks have we talked about this team is, is finally, they're not going to make it there. They look flawed. They're finally, we're going to get a week or we're going to get a year off from the Chiefs at least. And then what the fuck happens? We do not get a year off. In fact, we may get the first back-to-back Super Bowl champions since Tom Brady and America's true team, the New England Patriots did it in 2003 and 2004. I want years, to man. put my head, I want to put my head through this wall, that wall, every wall in my apartment, of which I have many. I'm just, I'm just sad, Pat. I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's, what the fuck, man, is all I have to say off the top. And look, thankfully, thankfully I had something this weekend to distract myself. I mean, I was, as I mentioned last week, I was in Tampa. I got to go to the WWE Royal Rumble, which, by the way, Pat, neither of your picks were uh, correct. I'm I'm sorry to say. Uh, One of mine was. Cody Rhodes won the Men's Royal Rumble. Uh, The Women's Royal Rumble was won by Bailey. So I believe we both picked Becky Lynch to win that. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who Bailey is. Or Cody Rhodes, for that matter. I wouldn't wouldn't expect you to know. Um, But yeah, Cody Rhodes won it. And your pick, CM Punk, actually actually tore his triceps and is out for six months so like, like a genuine or is that a yes line yes tore his triceps because he was in he had major wrestlemania plans uh he was supposed to be in a really big match and he is no longer going to be in that match because he tore How his triceps that guy by now uh he's up he's up over 40 i think 45 geez yeah he's he's an older fella um Tearing but triceps at 45 is, is typically not the way to go it's it's not it's not the best but Enough of that, Pat. We are going to talk about Championship Weekend. We are going to give a little preview of the Super Bowl. We are going to talk about the latest news in the coaching carousel. And this may have been probably the most active week in the coaching carousel that we've had, uh, you know, since the, uh, not the offseason, but since the playoffs have started. So we'll go through each of those moves. Then we'll get into some viewer questions there at the end. But let's just start off with it, Pat. Ravens versus Chiefs. Um, it just, there's so much to unpack here. There's so much I want to yell about because oh, yeah. the here's what it comes down to. And it was it's a possibility that is always in the air for a team that's never been here before, but you just hope it doesn't come to pass. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have never been, in, this, this iteration of them has never been in an AFC championship game before. And when you have a team like that up against an experienced team like the Chiefs who does this in their fucking sleep, I guess, uh, there's always a risk that the lights are going to be too bright. Somebody's going to fuck up. In this case, multiple players and multiple members of personnel fucked up. The moment was too big. Whatever it was, the Ravens did not show up as their best selves in this game, and it manifested itself in a Chiefs victory. Yeah, and it's funny because they're by no means like an inexperienced team. Like, you know, John Harbaugh has a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson's been playing at an incredibly high level, obviously not in an AFC championship game and a lot of veterans on that team. But, you know, we'll talk about the self-inflicted wounds by the Lions, but these were even worse, you know, taunting and, you know, fumbling at the goal line and Lamar's just abysmal interception there. To, to kind of ice it, like, I have no idea what the thought process was there, but yeah, it was like, it was like a very quiet implosion, mm-hmm. like, it, we, they didn't really, like, totally crash and burn, but, like, the game was in their hands, they had, a, they had a real chance at it, and they just, they just gave it away to a team that was far more composed, far more experienced, and far more... Um, they just did. They didn't make the same. The Chiefs did not make the same kind of mistakes that the Ravens did, and that was ultimately the difference. 
Yeah, it was just consistent through the course of the game. The Ravens looked like the less experienced, more rattled teams throughout. But it all really starts with a completely flawed game plan because I don't know what was going on here, Pat. Look, we sit here. You and I do not have a comprehensive understanding of X's and O's of football, of plays, of formations, whatever. If you were to put us in an offensive coordinator's chair, we would shit our pants and die. However, what we could do at the bare minimum is recognize that the Ravens are one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. The Chiefs they were are the best rushing team in the, the NFL. The Chiefs are deficient a bit at defending the run. And I think, Pat, you and I would both draw up more than six carries for running backs six. throughout the course of the game. It just it makes zero sense. It reeks of Todd Monken, a guy who, you know, is coming off of the Georgia staff, whatever, just overthinking this situation to an incredibly high degree. And I know the Ravens don't have these star running backs anymore. Like they've had more guys go down this year than a lot of teams have. Keaton Mitchell went down. J.K. Dobbins went down. But they have still been the best rushing team in the NFL with Gus Edwards, with Justice Hill. These are solid enough players in that scheme to get it done. And they only handed off six times. They got what they deserved. I hate to say that, but they did. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the whole the whole meme of with where Todd Munkin saying his wife said, like, why don't you just call the, the right plays? And right. he still didn't listen. And he still didn't no. listen even after getting roasted on a public stage like that. But 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 it's just so true and we've seen the Ravens, whether it's this year or whether it's in the past under Greg Roman, still John Harbaugh's team, that they can run with anybody. You know, they were running with you know, they we've seen them run with Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, God forbid, mm-hmm. like just inexplicable and it's not and it, it like it wasn't a, a script thing either it seems like they were in the game the whole time they yeah. were in the game the whole game like there there was nothing to indicate that they needed to abandon the run how do you abandon something that you never latch on to at all in the first place and yeah you know who you know who's to say like you know you, it's hard to say like oh if they ran the ball more they win the game i mean we we don't know that but You've got to at least think it gives them a, a better chance. Yeah, it, it just felt like a complete panic where it was like, you know, you, you know Patrick Mahomes is on the other side and you feel the need to keep up with him. And you were never, it was never a situation where you had to turn it into that. You, you don't, don't willingly put yourself in a passing shootout with Patrick Mahomes and that team, regardless of the Chiefs wide receivers. And, and we'll get into that in a second, but... You don't ever want to willingly do that. Like, stick to your identity, stick to your strength. Um, it was just very irritating to see. But on top of just an overall deficient game plan that uh, Todd Monken spearheaded, you also had important players absolutely selling the bag in this one. So you got Zay Flowers at the the head of it all. I mean, makes that great play, and then the most obvious taunting call of all time. He throws the dude's shoulder down, gets up, stands over him like, yeah, you're going to get called for that, and then makes up for it in the moment, gets back to the goal line, and lets the ball get knocked out of his hands. You don't dive for the goal line by reaching the ball out in that situation. You just don't, and that obviously resulted in the Chiefs getting the ball back and the Ravens going scoreless on that drive, Um, and then Zay Flowers goes in and cuts his hand open on the sideline out of frustration as well. So that was a, a monumental collapse by a young player who, look, you know, hope you hope that experience will prevent something like that in the future. You know, I saw Lamar Jackson going up to him and giving him a talking to, at least after the fumble. Um, and and you, you hope that this doesn't rear its head again. But in that moment, it sucked. And then Lamar Jackson himself, the fumble by him was, was a bad look. That was, you know, 
a bit of a lack of awareness to be able to just get it batted out of his hand. Uh, but the interception was certainly a lot worse. I mean, that was a a chuck into triple coverage, safety reading it the entire time, and uh, it just reeked of him forcing it into into nothing. And look, it's easy to say sometimes like. You know, we can we can criticize quarterbacks for taking a check down when everything's covered downfield, and then we'll also criticize them for taking the shot when everything's covered downfield. Sometimes they can't win either way. There were better shots to take. You could have made a pass to anybody else that wouldn't have been your triple-covered tight end in the middle of the field. I don't know what the right yeah. better decision was there, but the one he made was maybe the worst option he could have gone to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but at the very least, you, you, you go a little more conservative in that situation for the fur check down, for, you know, a, a slant like that, because you're still in the game at that point. You're, you know, you're still, um, you still have a shot, but when you do something that volatile, you're essentially risking throwing the game away, and he did. Yeah. And the other thing, this game fucking sucked. Like, yeah. Like the first, yeah, the first few drives, it's like, this is going to be an all-timer. These guys are both chucking, making huge plays. And that was it. There was no action in that second half of this game. When we all yep. thought this was, you know, you know, two top teams, like the granddaddy of them all kind of game. And it was just a huge, huge letdown. Yeah, it, it was tough. And look, what's next for the Ravens here? Because you've got a team that everybody thought had what it takes, what it at least what it took to, you know, get to the Super Bowl, if not win the Super Bowl. Uh, we knew this was a high-level team. How do the Ravens now go into next season with a sense of what can we improve on? I mean, really, Pat, I feel like part of it is just you, you take this season as experience, all right? We we played in an AFC championship game. We let the nerves get to us, and we come back more prepared next time because from a personnel perspective, like, there's not much more this team can do to improve. Yeah. Like, the defense was the best defense in the NFL for the entire season, essentially, other than, you know, them and the Cleveland Browns kind of went back and forth with that. Um, offensively, Lamar just had his second best season to his other MVP season um, in his career. The receivers have been the best group of receivers that Lamar has played with. I still think you can upgrade that probably in a relatively cheap oh, way, too, sure. because, you know, you've got, look, you've got Zay Flowers, you've got Mark Andrews, you've got Isaiah Likely. That's a really nice little core, but guys like, Odell and Nelson Aguilar and Rashad Bateman. I think you can add at least one more uh, weapon to absolutely. supplant all three of those guys, um, and that, that'll help out. And then run game-wise, I mean, look, the guys they have aren't bad. If you get Keaton Mitchell back, cool, but he probably won't be back until, you know, a little into the season. Dobbins and Edwards are both unrestricted free agents as well. So, sure. I mean, I mean, Dobbins is obviously going to have to take a pillow kind of contract anyway after his injury history, so maybe they could bring him back in on the cheap. Or, you know, yeah. you'd still could a guy like Gus Edwards make reasonable money? In, but this is, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty heavy running back class, and he's a pretty heavy running back. But, um, <laughs> he sure is. But, so maybe not. I mean, he's still aging, but he's still been pretty efficient, obviously great at the goal line, but... They're, they're going to need someone alongside Keaton Mitchell. You know, we, Keaton Mitchell is electric. We saw a lot of really great things, and I know you and I both wanted to see a lot more out of him mm -hmm. before he got hurt. But you're, you're going to need a bigger brew. It's funny because we'll say, like, oh, this team's committed, clearly committed to the run. Well, they were all but one fucking game this year committed to the run. So, yeah. you, but like we said, you typically know that whatever they do in the run game is going to work. Like, whoever whoever they have back there, they will be a successful run team. Lamar will be a successful rusher. But what you said is true. Like, they're just in a... They're in a good spot. They're, they're, they're in a... 
in a really good spot. I mean, we'll see if they lose um, like McDonald here, yeah, in in the next week. But they're they're in a good spot in terms of continuity, in terms of what they have now. John Harbaugh is a great coach, and it just they just fumbled, literally fumbled uh, in their big opportunity here to take down the dynasty, basically. Yeah, you can't make that many mistakes and expect to be a Chiefs team that has been here so many times before. And it, it it just sucks when you come up short in a in a stage like this when you have everything it takes seemingly to win it all. Because it's like, what do we do from here? I I think you could you could comfortably run it back with essentially the same personnel. Honestly, you could you could go and not address much in free agency and really just let the draft do the talking, hope to find uh, another pass catcher there. But I do think they will add some kind of veteran pass catcher in free agency to to go with this group. Um, but in, in general, like they, they could do essentially nothing and be just as well off next year. Like You come in with a better game plan. I think we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens in the Super Bowl right now, so it's hard to criticize too much. Um, but yes, the biggest notes and concerns right now are the Ravens' defense. Um, the the coaches on that side, Mike McDonald, potentially getting a head coaching gig. We'll talk about that in a second. And possibly another guy on that staff getting a, a head coaching gig. So their, their defensive coaches could be uh, rotating here a little bit. But, Pat, we'll talk about the Chiefs now. Look, I said in the last two weeks that I would admit— You said you'd say they're back. I said I would it. admit they were back as soon as they, if they were to take down the Baltimore Ravens or you know get to the Super Bowl, uh, the Chiefs are back. And it, it drives me nuts to say it. This is, again, I mentioned this last week. It's a reminder of the high floor of having the best quarterback in the league and the best coach in the league. And that's what they have. Even in down years, you can stumble your way into a Super Bowl. I say that as a Patriots fan watching it for so many years. There were multiple versions of the Patriots that I did not feel were the best team in the AFC, and they found themselves in the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl despite that, just because of their strengths on at those two spots and, you know, building the roster around that. Um, the... What, what did I have here next? Uh, yeah, just the inevitable nature of the Chiefs' success. It feels like the Patriots. They just they end up here whether we want them to or not. Uh, I think this game was a good reminder of one thing that has been true all year, that this is the best defense Mahomes has ever had. I think that got yeah, overshadowed right. at times by just the egregious drops by the wide receivers because that was more of a kind of a fun thing to poke at. Um but even though the offense has lacked at times, Pat, this was the thing is that beneath the surface, or I guess, you know, without us really realizing it, because we just had maybe written them off or written off that receiver group, they figured things out a little bit, at least in terms of who to put on the damn field. Kadarius Tony hasn't played since week 15. Forget all of his, they're lying about my injury. Bro, you suck. It does, I don't care what they're lying about. You're, you're ass. I don't care what's going on with you. The fact he hasn't played since week 15 is the right move. So they haven't played Kadarius Tony. Sky Moore went on IR. I don't know what his playing time would have looked like had that not happened but regardless it did and he's been underperforming or had underperformed for them as well and Mecole Hardman this is probably the most notable one after his disastrous performance uh in in the playoffs this year he played one snap this week against the Baltimore Ravens they the, the Chiefs learned from their mistakes so look do they still do they have an above average pass catching group you know not including Travis Kelsey absolutely the fuck no. not they don't they have Justin Watson out there they have Marquez Valdez Scantling out there Rashi Rice as well. Sorry, yes, Rashi Rice. My my mistake. I'm thinking of all the negatives. But the guys they have out there are, you know, the Watson and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. MBS kind of included in the making mistakes group, but they have the guys out there that are inclined to make the least mistakes now in terms of the guys catching passes from Mahomes. And that's all you need when you have a guy like Pat Mahomes. Again, bringing it back to Tom Brady, Brady had years where he was just throwing to Chris Hogan and Julian Edelman, like, you know, a really good player. And then Penn State. 
He sure did. But you've got you've got like a guy like Edelman who's a solid security blanket and then just just dudes around him. And it was enough at times because the quarterback is just so good. And that's what the Chiefs have finally figured out and put together here just in time. Not to mention Travis Kelsey looks like himself again, which yeah. what a time for him to figure that out. You, you, you couldn't have been a better time. And, and I think even saying the Chiefs are back, it needs context because they're not back. They are not the same team that won the Super Bowl last year. They are not the same team that's made the Super Bowl in how many straight years, three, four years. They are doing just enough. They're playing very well, but they are doing just enough. They are not making mistakes. And fortunately for them, that's all they've had to do to get here. They've just had to play safe football and let other teams make the mistakes and get there. And again, like you said, that all comes down to having the best quarterback in the league, probably the best coach in the league. I mean, Andy Andy Reid at this point at least. And like you talk about the Ravens, they've never been there. The Chiefs have been there. You know, these yeah. are these are teams that have made a, a deep playoff run. And the Patriots comparisons are really strong because like you said, like you talk about that what, second Super Bowl against the Rams that they won where it was what like twelve to three or whatever. Yeah. They were by no means the Super Bowl team. But they figured it out and that feels like what's happening here uh with the Chiefs as much as I uh as much as I don't like to say it, the Raiders beat them, by the way, so that means they're in the Super Bowl. I don't make the rules. They're in Vegas, too. They can just show up. Like, Yeah, that's true. They can cash in their Raider-in-the-bank contract and enter the Super Bowl. I think that's the rules. Um, but, yeah, look, the Chiefs figuring everything out at the right time. Um, and, I, Pat, I, I hate this because my my original pick to win the Super Bowl is is very much still in it. That's the San Francisco 49ers. But when we get down to our to our game pick for that game, I may go the other direction. Uh, before we get there, I do want to address – one big thing and that is the Taylor Swift situation because it's it's getting blown out of proportion now like there has been there is so much discourse about it and I think so much of it is both people being stupid but also some of it being a misguided anger look there are definitely people out there that are horrible and stupid and sexist and going to say terrible things about Taylor Swift because there are just bad people out there. Some of the there these are the worst of us saying these kinds of things. But I want to say this about the frustration over the Taylor Swift coverage because it's just something that kind of clicked the other day. I think for a lot of fans and for me included, like it's nothing personal against Taylor because she's not doing anything. She's sitting in a booth supporting her boyfriend. Like, okay, that's not a problem, obviously. It's the fact that these production crews are so over the top with how many times they cut to her. And and here's why I say this is not a specific Taylor thing. The same thing pissed me off and pissed a lot of people off with Damar Hamlin. When he was finally back on an NFL sideline, whenever an injury would happen, they would cut to him immediately like, oh, let's see what DeMar Hamlin's face has to say about this injury. Because if you remember, he got taken off the field on a stretcher in an ambulance. We know, we understand. It's not about what's being cut to. It's about the constant cutting to somebody's face and their reaction when it's like, we, we get it. Like, enough. Like, stop. We want to watch the game. It's not anything personal. For some people, they're making it personal, right? I think they're letting that baseline annoyance of seeing the same thing over and over again feed into them being horrible about it and making fucking absurd comments. But to me, it's just the, the production teams need to relax. You can, you can cut to her after Travis scores. I'm okay with that. I understand. There's a connection there, a thousand percent. But I said it the other day or last week, like, do we got to show her when Isaiah Pacheco scores? Like, do every time like really i i don't get it so it's just that's my take on it is that it's not necessarily about her for a lot of people it's just 
it's the repetitiveness of it. And I just wish, as somebody who's worked in TV and been in production booths for games, stuff like that makes me so mad. Because it's like, give it a rest. That That's all I have to say about it. She has done nothing um, wrong. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to pretty much just disagree with almost okay. everything you said here. I personally have absolutely no problem with it. Like, we are talking about probably the most famous person in the world mm-hmm. be, be, being at these games. And eyeballs that are not usually on football are being put on football now. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's a business. These these producers, they know what they're doing. They know what sells. And, like, yeah, sure, it can be annoying at times, but, like, I don't blame them at all for, for, for what they're doing. You know, like, I guess you said it's annoying with DeMar Hamlin just because, one, that's just kind of wild. Like, you see a guy get carted off, and then they just pan to a man yeah, that was nearly dead on a football field. Like, yeah, what does he like, think? completely unhinged but we are talking about the celebrity in 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 our world right now and of course the nfl is eating it up and oh it's rigged the uh, taylor's of course gonna get to the super bowl she's a joe biden plan i don't i've heard a lot i've heard a lot i've heard i've heard a lot of things um but i don't care i mean mm-hmm. you make a fair point like yeah just watch the game but like like me watching the game it never got to a point where i was like oh my god taylor swift again like, uh, and you know, like, I don't, I don't even know who's the biggest, like, male pop star in the world right now. Oh, God. Biggest male pop star? Uh, I mean, the weekend's you know up I mean? like, there. Ma- like, go you know what I mean? Like, male celebrity. Like, I, I'm so out of touch. I don't know who it would be. Uh, uh, Cody Rhodes? I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't, like, know. Say, <laughs> I don't know. So, either. like, let's say, um, the, 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 um, I don't know. Who was popular twenty years ago? Justin Timberlake. Like, let's sure. say Justin Timberlake's brother was on a team, and they kept cutting to him. Mm-hmm. I think people would, I think people would care a lot less. Uh, let's 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 just let's just put I, it that way. I, I think I, people yeah. would 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 care a, a lot less. I think it has to do with you know. Yeah, I'm sure they're whether it's this blatant, disgusting sexism, or you know, just underlying. But I just don't care. It has never once. Um, affected my my viewing of the game i had something else to say and i completely lost it um fuck um oh well like they're showing eminem like crazy it's it, you know like i don't think it was quite the same games. amount though I, it wasn't like eminem let's see his reaction were, hinge on every play and the complaints were minimal so it's like no, i i understand that i, I think that's it, basically just my whole thing is it I just don't care. Like they they know where the money is, and the ratings are great, and they're gonna get amazing ratings for the Super Bowl, and you know all the, you know these boycott the NFL people are the same, from five years ago are the same people that are mad about this. It's like motherfucker, I thought you stopped watching seven years ago. <laughs> like what, I thought you stopped watching like, when Kaepernick took a knee. Pick one. So yeah. like. I don't care. I think it's great for the league. Uh, and and me, I'm like Pat McAfee. Oh God. But um, <laughs> but uh. Add me in there. I think she's great for the league, and it just doesn't bother me in the slightest that she's there. I, I think it being a woman definitely like brings some of the worst haters out of the woodwork because people just love to dunk on women when they're involved in men's sports in any way. So like that in that way, yes, it's definitely bringing out some more hate than it would for you know some of the other stuff with with like cutting to DeMar Hamlin too much or cutting to if it was Justin Timberlake like you bring up uh, I just I remembered how annoyed and how like the memes that came out with the DeMar stuff and I'm like this is I think at its core 
some people, maybe not majority, maybe not even half, are just annoyed that the focus keeps getting taken off of the play or that it's getting directed somewhere that doesn't sure. matter that much. Well, let's be honest, though. Taylor Swift is far more relevant to an NFL game than DeMar Hamlin. Oh, of course. <laughs> and he's on a 53-man roster, and he's somehow yeah. less relevant. It's more so just that the Hamlin ones are just kind of in poor taste, whether they mean it or not. Just a... I just can't, you know, guys get carted off and they just pan to this guy I, who is inactive, brutal, who is a it's, healthy scratch that day yeah. to just it's be brutal. like, hey, this guy's hurt. You know who else was hurt? Like, I, yeah, I, I think I think at my core, it, it comes down again to the fact that I worked in TV and I remember my frustrations, which I, I don't work for the mouse anymore, so I can say whatever I want. I, I remember my frustrations working on college basketball when things were done for strictly ratings rather than the like focusing on the most relevant and best things like we would there were years where like duke and north carolina were both unranked right and putting out pretty bad teams and that game would be highlighted more than a game between virginia and miami where they're both ranked in the top 15 that kind of stuff at my core just pisses me off like oh, I, sure. I don't i don't think everything needs to be about ratings or done because of ratings like if that was the case then th that just feeds into the people that do think things are rigged so th that's just what kind of drives as, me nuts as a man who has um uh no stake in any major <laughs> any major uh, media conglomerate um you're right like you're right like yeah it's annoying at times but at the end of the day like this for them is a business and they're going to do what they do and it, all these networks are going to milk the fuck out of it for the next two weeks I'm sure that's going to be yeah. annoying in the lead up and I'm sure yeah. CBS is going to milk the fuck out of it come oh, yeah. the 11th for this game oh, but certainly and uh, I, I mean I, I, I get it but it just man just pain uh, and Pat that brings me into another mini rant here that I kind of referenced um, about the quote unquote NFL script and just conspiracy theories I just want to mention this because I think it's so funny and I'm actually going to make probably a, a skit video about this this week so stay tuned for that but like you have so many people that have been saying the NFL was never going to let the Chiefs not make the Super Bowl because oh they have Taylor Swift and it's good for ratings and, and those people all pop up right after that game because before the game before chiefs ravens you had all the people like oh well the nfl the super bowl logo has the colors of the ravens and the niners and then they're like oh guys this tv guide description said ravens versus niners they must have this stop thinking sports are, are rigged stop stop thinking there's a real script i i know that the, i'm probably screaming into the void here because people are, are gonna think this no matter what i say but it drives me nuts when people think sports are rigged and then just pick and choose and cherry pick whatever evidence they want for yeah. that to be the case and then when things happen that completely disprove what they thought was rigged they just kind of ignore it. Like I, I'm like, if you are coming at watching sports with a with a cynical viewpoint, you're gonna find quote unquote evidence for your cynical viewpoint, thinking things are rigged, and then you can just pivot. Like you can go from oh the logo conspiracy to oh well they were never gonna let Taylor. Shut up. Is that not exhausting? Like just yeah. watch, just just watch sports and. Watch them as if they are objectively not right because they're not like just it just dri yeah. that drives me I, crazy more so. I, than I, I saw a tweet today. I saw a tweet today. I can't remember who tweeted it. So sorry to that person. But they said like, oh, if you think the NFL so rigged and the Chiefs are going to win, then why don't you bet your life savings on them? Right. If you're, right. If you're that confident that it's rigged. Exactly. And it's like I bet you these people are sure as hell not going to do that that are mighty, mighty confident. It's just so no. 
It baseball just sounds so, smart. It would be so difficult to rig these kind of stick and ball sports like baseball, basketball, with Tim Donahue. Someone would squeal. Someone somewhere would squeal. Everyone would. Like there, there are coaches, there are players. Their livelihood is dedicated to this game. Like you really think everyone's just in on the rig? And you can say, oh, it's it just it could just come down to the referees. Like no one else has to be in on it. Refs can only sway games so much. And like that Chiefs Ravens game, there were plenty of calls on the Chiefs. There were like consecutive holding calls at one point on their O line. The, the Ravens turning the ball yes. over too much is what swung that game. It was not anything ref related, yeah. so it just it just and grinds I mean, my gears. I, 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 a slight soliloquy about it. I mean, like uh, a sport that I'm very into, uh, as you know, is NASCAR, mm-hmm. and um, NASCAR is certainly rigged at times. NASCAR has certainly rigged things, um, but they're allowed to because that's not a sport. They're a sanctioning body mm. run by a family. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They can rig it like. The, the, the big one is when, like, Richard Petty going way back won his 200th race. Like, Ronald Reagan was flying in on Air Force One in the background. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, like, Dale Dale Sr. dies at Daytona, and then Dale Jr. wins the next race at Daytona. They gave that man a fucking rocket ship. Like, come on. But, like, that it's easy to do that. Like, with sports like football, that would be have to be so elaborate. It yeah. would just be... So difficult to pull that off to a to a you know to a complete T. Like it's it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, just sports aren't rigged. And if you for some reason think they are, and you approach watching games with that mindset, I implore you to just try watching it the other way one time. And I promise you, sounds you'll find just too. you'll. It sounds miserable. You will find just as much evidence for it not being rigged if that's what you look for actively as you do for it being rigged to whatever result you think is supposed to happen. So that's that's my take on that. We'll move on, Pat, to 49ers versus Lions. Um, this one was certainly a much different sort of script from Ravens Chiefs. We had... The Lions get out to an absolutely massive lead to start the game. I mean, the first half was just a showcase of the Lions at their best, playing to their strengths. Ben Johnson cooking up a a fucking meal here. And then the second half was basically everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I mean, Pat, this, this series of unfortunate events bears describing because these were the first five possessions between both teams of the second half. In order, this is what happened. The 49ers got the ball to start the half, kicked a field goal. Okay. Josh Reynolds dropped the ball on fourth and two with Dan Campbell with his, uh, you know, trademark aggressiveness. Josh Reynolds flat out had a drop that would have been a first down. Then Kendall Vildor, honestly, I've never heard of this dude in my life, but Lions DB takes a ball off of his helmet, could have been an easy pick, and it lands in Brandon Ayuk's arms for a 51-yard catch. And then a few plays later, Brandon Ayuk scores a touchdown, 49ers score again. Then the next pl- the next possession, Jameer Gibbs fumbles on the first play, and then the 49ers score another touchdown. Just five straight possessions of the w- the worst possible outcomes, more or less. Like it, it just swung the game so far in-, in the 49ers' favor, and it just sucks because if the Lions come out and just play a little bit cleaner, like a-, a little bit cleaner, I think they hold on to that massive lead. Instead, they put up sort of a, um, a mini 28-3 Falcons Jr. sort of performance. I, I will say this. I feel so bad for Lions fans, man. Like, they they had the Super Bowl firmly in their hand. You know, like, we, we I said the Ravens had it in their grasp. The, the Lions had it. The Lions were holding on to it, and they fucking blew it. And I cannot imagine um, the hell that, um, that Lions fans 
had to have been going through. And it's it's just so true. And I mean, we'll talk in a minute about Dan Campbell and some of his decisions, but I... Josh Reynolds had a really funny quote where he's like, yeah, I didn't mean to drop them, but, you know, stuff happens. He said, like, I didn't I mean, want to obviously. drop them, but stuff but stuff happens. <clears throat> that, that was funny, but, yeah, it's just a – and it's so bizarre because this didn't feel like a lights too bright kind of situation similar. Like, no. these were, you know, unenforced errors compared to the Ravens who <clears throat> were very self-inflicted with their errors. And the 49ers are just a really good team who figured it out who really figured it out at a halftime and they went and they completely took that game from them that for the first half they had no business being in no business being in yeah i mean the 49ers like based on the series i just described they cashed in on every mistake that the lions made and that's what you have to do to come back from you know a 17 point halftime deficit and they did it masterfully um but pat let's talk about dan campbell because it has been a a big point of conversation with his aggression this has completely opened the analytics book again yes which is so funny mike petrillo who's been like in a baseball analytics guy said that like it's so funny to see this argument happening when baseball's version of it happened in 2012 12 the whole the whole analytics versus this is completely just opened the door for a lot of bad takes and on both sides admittedly but like i personally i'm i'm more towards the side of analytics but i don't live and die by it like for example agreed dan campbell should have went for it the first time because like my my boomer dad was saying like oh you know you gotta get gotta get up 17 there and this and i'm like yeah or you get the first down, go score a touchdown. Game's almost over. And that's what I mean. And then you really have a stranglehold on the game. And Mike Badgley is not a good kicker outdoors. Yeah. Mike Badgley is not an effective kicker outdoors. So these high 40-yard field goals are no guarantee anyway. And that's the way he's been all year. Why would he abandon it? But the second time, I would have been okay with him taking points. Because mm-hmm. at that point, like... One of the big debates, George Kittle had a big thing about it, was momentum. Whether momentum exists or not. And, like, my answer is yes, but, like, yes, it exists, but you can't measure it. Like, you sure. can't measure it. Like, like, we play fucking men's softball and, like, you know, a game umps made a bad call. And I'm like, God, oh, probably doesn't matter anyway. We were going to lose. And they're like, oh, well, you never know. We could have gotten all the momentum from that. And it's like, but you can't quantify that. Yeah. Like, you, you can't quantify momentum. Analytics, you can quantify it. That I don't blame Dan Campbell, even for the second one, because, again, it's kind of a similar deal. But at that point, the game was a little more up in the air. A little more up in the air, where it's like, I, 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 I'm not ready to fully say like he made a mistake there. But what he did make a mistake on was the third down play at the goal line. Mm. A run up the gut. And they had to use one of their timeouts, which completely just ended the game, basically. They had no chance to stop the clock and get the ball back, which they would have needed a miracle anyway. If you're going to do something like that, do it on first down. If you're just trying to catch... I think it's, he was probably trying to catch him off guard. But yeah. to, to leave that up to chance is terrible. It, it, it is absolutely terrible. Whether it was Dan Campbell, whether it was Ben Johnson, that was... That was brutal. And I mean, they still probably don't win the game regardless. They needed, they were going to have like 10 seconds left with a football, mm-hmm. even if they scored. It probably wasn't going to happen, but that one just baffled me so much more than either of the fourth down decisions. But 
the Lions yeah. lived by this all season, and they died by it this game. And like, almost feel like you'd rather do that, go out doing that, than go out doing doing the opposite. Because then you kick yourself, be like, oh man, we did this all year, and we went against it, and then we blew it. I will say the the run up the gut was interesting because you know I I heard the commentators talking you know before the play after the play where it's like you can't let the running back get piled up on too much time is going to come off the clock and I know that you know calling that timeout I'm I'm sure they called the play and we're like okay if we don't get this we have to call a timeout so we're going to call it right then save as much time as we can like the way that play actually played out and I guess you can't react to that in the moment there was no one on top of him like you could have gotten up to the line maybe only burned a couple of seconds and gotten another playoff pretty quickly but I, I understand the philosophy of it like they don't they don't know how the tackle is going to go down so they just they have to call the timeout kind of without thinking so I, no, I see how that you're play absolutely was right yeah but but it's like in hindsight that, to even yeah. think that to say like hey we have a scenario here in which we are going to have to burn one of those timeouts. yeah that should have been yeah, a deal breaker yeah. Agreed. That should have been that play should have got crumpled up and thrown out the window. The, yeah, I agree. Again, the odds of them winning that game at that point were still very, very slim. They still would have needed something to get the onside kick or to get the ball back with ten seconds left. But just to put yourselves in that position is not is not good. It's just it's just really really head scratching. Yeah, that was a weird call. Um, as far as, you know, not kicking field goals and such, Pat, you touched on it with Michael Badgley. Yeah, yeah. The, the second field goal, act, or the second time they passed up on the field goal, would have been a 48-yard field goal, and uh, I tweeted this shortly after the game, but Michael Badgley on outdoor field goals of over 40 yards since 2019, so keeping up there, outdoor field goals over 40 yards since 2019, he's 17 for 29. So, it's basically a coin flip. Yes, he's over 50%, but it, it's basically a coin flip in a situation where you have the most aggressive head coach in the NFL. Am I surprised that they didn't? he didn't attempt a 48-yard field goal with this dude? No. I'm not. Michael Badgley wasn't on the team two months ago. And it was Riley Patterson. And that poses the question, why is he on the team right now? Like, you should have a kicker. That you trust to kick a forty-eight yard field goal. Uh, yeah, you say that, but you look at you that, look at the teams short, in the playoffs, though. It's, it's easier said fall. than done. Yeah, that's it is. A real and, and that's shortfall on them to have a guy that they may not have been very confident in in the first place. Yeah, I'm sure that's something they'll work on this offseason as well as finding a kicker they can trust in those situations. But I will say it's easier said than done to find a kicker like that. We saw kicker issues all throughout the play. We have kicker issues in the Super Bowl. Jake Moody has not been good. So, you know, it's easy to, to blame a team for not having a great kicker, but they simply don't grow on trees. You you got to you gotta try to find these guys. And uh, the Lions just simply did not have one that they trusted from that distance, even though it was, you know nondescript weather could have had Randy under 50 Bullock. yards you could have had randy bullock that is true uh so look in general we are very much okay with dan campbell's aggression like that philosophy is what got them there you can't switch up in the moment and tuck your tail between your legs when that is your identity like it it's so easy to say like yes that got you there now you have to adjust in the moment it's just not how that team operates that if they were a team that would make that kind of decision i don't think they would be here to begin with it's not in their dna it, it's how you that that is a very brandon staley-esque thing of of you know being aggressive and then kind of going back on it and then it, get, it gets you in a bad spot so pat what's next for the lions now well we'll talk about it in a sec but one big piece of news is that they are keeping Ben Johnson. So that is a, a, a potential issue that they will not have to address. Yeah, this I was going to say, you remember this is a fantasy podcast and fantasy yeah. related? That's huge. Oh, that, that's, that is huge for, I mean, Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ra whew, to the yeah. fucking moon. 
I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with David Montgomery. As much as I love David Montgomery this was year, was he on a one-year deal? Was he? What? I thought he I, maybe. Let's see, David Montgomery contract. I I did not think so. No, three years, eighteen. Three years. Okay, I, I thought. Yeah, I didn't think it was a one-year deal. Um, so yeah, look, them being able to keep Ben Johnson around is going to be a huge boon as far as you know the retooling that they'll have to do this offseason. That is one less retool that they will have to figure out. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious what they have to do. It's it's defense. Like they, you just have to bolster that secondary, bolster that defense in general because they are they are set at offensive line. They are set with the offensive skill players, and Jared Goff is the guy they've committed to, and he's done a damn good job in that I, system. I will say. Aiden oh, Hutchinson, kicker. they got away with highway robbery oh my at God. that second pick. We <laughs> Trayvon Jags. Walker does not get talked about enough. No. It is being such a bust because, I mean, it's not like the guy's terrible, but he's just I like, think that's why he's been okay, but yeah. But that's not good Hutch. enough. That's no, not good not. enough, especially when you have someone at the same position who had like 10 sacks in like the last eight games. Yeah. He's, like Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a first-team All-Pro in this league at some point. Drayvon Walker is not going to be that. That is crazy. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the secondary is going to be their biggest. You know, we saw them we saw them get um, Brian Branch and McDonald this year. You know, to kind of sure up the the safety linebackers. But yeah, cornerback is going to be priority for this team. Unfortunately, they don't. Have, well, I guess unfortunately, depending on you ask, they don't have a good draft pick here. But mm. but I mean, yeah. there's free agency. You could you could find things. But again. There's hope in Detroit for <laughs> oh yeah for the first time in a long time. Like say what you will about Dan Campbell's decisions, that turnaround that this team has had in three years under him has been astronomical. And the shit that he got when they they hired him, oh he's just some meathead tight ends coach, never called yeah. plays, never did this. I mean we'll talk about it with some coaches soon, but being a head coach is about being a leader. Yeah. And just obviously from an outside perspective, Dan Campbell's got to be one of if not the best leader in football right now. Yeah. The players r- rant and rave about him. So he's going to be there for a long time, and they're going to be here for a long time. And it, it really, really is unfortunate that they lost that game the way they did. Like, I feel like almost like if you're a Lions fan, you wish they would have just got fucking blown out. Yeah. You know? You know, uh, hope, hope, in a way. Like if, if that was me, if that was my, if that was the Raiders, I would have rather them get blown out than blow a seventeen point lead in any any day, be in the game, any day, any fucking day. But, but they are they are here and they are um, and and they're ready. But I mean, the 49ers, after a couple of really treacherous games, they have shown now that this Kyle Shanahan team, this Brock Purdy team, can overcome adversity. They yeah. basically overcome adversity twice in two weeks, and I think that was the biggest thing people were doubting about them was whether or not they could do that. And again, say what you will about Brock Purdy. He made plays in the second half, whether with his arm or with his legs. He made plays, and he got them back in that game. And they're where everyone thought they would be. They're in the Super Bowl. It's not the path everyone thought it was going to take, but they are in the Super Bowl, and they are here, and this is going to be a hell of a matchup. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be a good game, albeit not one you know between two teams that people necessarily wanted to see Very face each other in the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
as we've got a, a rematch here from what the 2020 Super Bowl that was played for the 2019 season, I believe. Um, so we've got a rematch here, and it, the one thing I do enjoy is it's basically going to answer the question of how would Chiefs Niners play out if the Niners had a quarterback that had a little bit more dog than Jimmy G did, because that was kind of the question. Jimmy G shriveled up. I mean, the Niners took a 10-point lead into that fourth quarter of the Super Bowl four years ago. Obviously, these are drastically different teams now. Like we said, the Chiefs have a much better defense, and both teams are just constructed differently. I guess the Niners aren't constructed too differently, but uh, we're going to get a rematch uh, of sorts I, here. And kind of talk about Jimmy G, I saw a clip from Rich, Rich Eisen's show today basically saying that, like, if the 49ers don't win this Super Bowl, do they move on? Do they look to move on from Brock Purdy? Because, I mean, they did the same thing with Jimmy G. Like uh, they said on the show, like, they made the Super Bowl with Jimmy G, almost won the Super Bowl, and immediately said, we got to look elsewhere. Mm. I think Brock Purdy's certainly better than Jimmy G. Certainly. But that could become a question. I mean, obviously, this could be dispelled in two weeks from now when he leads them to a Super Bowl. It mm. all doubt will be removed. But I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as you think because this team is so loaded. This team is so loaded. And if he loses the game and does not play well, they can clearly point and say, this is our weak spot. Yeah, It's not a very weak one, but it's a, it's our weak spot, and that is what has kept them could possibly keep them from losing two Super Bowls in a four-year span. That's it, It's crazy how short, and I understand it, but how short the leash is for quarterbacks on good teams when that quarterback doesn't have like an obvious elite trait. Like you, You've got the guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen, and the truly elite quarterbacks, and we know Purdy's not among that group. Um, they all have obviously elite traits that other teams are like, yeah, we're not going to look anywhere else because it's so hard to find a guy that has something like that. Purdy not having an elite trait like that. It's like no matter how well he plays statistically, no matter how far he leads his team, unless it is to a Lombardi trophy, uh, he's kind of always going to be looking over his shoulder. Exactly. There, you know, his seat may not be hot yet, but you know, they're, they're kind of getting the fire prepared underneath it. Like it's, <laughs> they're getting I don't the think coals, he's ever truly yeah. going to be in the clear until they win a Super Bowl And, I mean, I guess this segues into it. Do we think that um, do we think that the 49ers win this, or do we think the Chiefs' reign of terror continues? Pat, I, I'm I'm going to say this, and I'm I'm hoping that this just allows the jinx to occur the other way. But I am going to go with the Chiefs based on what I've seen here the past <laughs> few weeks. The Chiefs have solved mostly every concern I've had about them, and now you look at this matchup. Two very good defenses, albeit with their weaknesses. Both of them weak run defenses, so the running backs are probably both going to have good games. Um, that you look at, you know, again, two good overall defenses. And then what's the – the Niners have better skill players, obviously, across the board, right? I mean, you've got the combination of, of Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. On the Chiefs side, you've really just got Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. But I think that combination is enough – to support the massive QB advantage that the Chiefs have. And I, I don't want to sound like a huge Brock Purdy hater. I'm not. I think Purdy is comfortably a top 15 quarterback, albeit at kind of the back end of that. But Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And now that the, this team has no discernible, clear weakness like yes McCaffrey may run all over them but I think the Chiefs are going to be able to go blow for blow with them in the scoring department and they're not going to turn the ball over and make these mistakes that we saw them make in the middle of the season I think Purdy is more likely to make those mistakes and that is what would end up costing the Niners the game yeah we and we I mean we saw the especially in that first half the 49ers were just getting gashed on the ground whether it was yeah. Gibbs whether it was Montgomery you looked up and they were in the open field 
Yeah. So that could be a big problem. And we've seen angry hamster Isaiah Pacheco, you know, <laughs> really play really well this year. You know, he's also he's established himself as a as a really solid solid running back in this league. And they're gonna need to be able to stop that because if that they can get that edge too. Obviously I don't think they'll have the edge, but if they can stay close enough to what they get out of Christian McCaffrey, who assumingly will be fine despite a shoulder injury, like you would have to assume that he would, he's going to play. Like, like I don't know what would keep him off the field in that moment, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs, too. And I, it's not oh, even more God. so a jinx for me. I hate it here. It's not even more so a jinx for me. Excuse me? It's just what I think is going to happen. No, me too. Like, that's, that's why. The jinx thing is just kind of in uh, along with it. I'm hoping that's what happens, but the Chiefs, in, I do in think In my are, other prediction will yeah. be that it will be Andy Reid's last game. Um, okay. Honestly, regardless, I, I think he's really? going to call it okay. quits. Um, I mean, he's 65 years old. Like, there are older coaches. Well, now there aren't because Belichick and uh, Pete Carroll. Pete I Carroll. Believe Reed yeah, I guess the, he's probably the oldest coach, right? I believe, let's see, oldest head coaches. I know I know those two were um, older. Let's see. I'm trying to think if anybody he, comes to he, mind. He most certainly is. The oldest coach in NFL history was Romeo Cronell. Shout out. Damn, the boy. Also, Chiefs. Um, shout out. Let's see. Yep, it's Andy Reid. Yeah, Andy Reid. Okay. And then the only other coaches over 60 or 60 and over, John Harbaugh, Mike McCarthy. Man, Todd Bowles looks good in Sean Payton. Yeah. Those guys are all in their low 60s. So, like, he's on the older side. And, like, what more would Andy Reid have to prove here? You know, yeah. if, especially if they win. Especially if they win. But the only thing that might is they don't have an heir apparent. No, like, they don't. Eric Bieniemy's gone in... Rightfully so. We'll mention Eric Binnemi in in a, in a few moments, but it sure as hell isn't Matt Nagy. God, God forbid. And Steve Spagnuolo, sixty four years old. Like, are yeah. you really gonna turn turn it over to to Steve Spagnola? To you know, it would probably have to be someone outside, maybe like Mike Frable. Like, like who who would you even bring in? So that that's the only thing that's kind of keeping me apprehensive is that you'd think they kind of want to keep it in house. Mm-hmm. But there is no obvious. Even if they still had like Mike Kafka, who's gotten mm-hmm. some head coaching looks like, if he was still on board as a quarterbacks coach, he would have been a good heir apparent. But they just don't have, like they don't have their Gerard Mayo, which right. would be the only thing why you know the the organization might be like, hey, like let's stick around for another year and so we can figure this shit out. So, but that said though, especially if they win, I think he is. I think he's gonna ride off into the cheeseburger and paradise sunset. <laughs> Remember when I killed Jimmy Buffett, by the way? Um, <laughs> oh, no. Did we ever talk about that on here? I don't remember. I don't think if we, we did. That okay, so up. here we go. The cheeseburger in paradise got me thinking about Jimmy Buffett. God bless him. We were at our fantasy football draft, and our friend Gary, Gary, if you're listening, hello, started playing Jimmy Buffett, and I said, quote, get Jimmy Buffett out of here. And that night, that man died. That oh. man was dead by sundown. That yeah. I, I I made the joke in the moment. This is morbid, but I was like, we don't have proof that he didn't drop dead literally the moment you said that because the they came out the next day, but he had died the night before, and it was sundown. We were all outside, but it was dark already. Like yeah, was, and, was, and the other bad. thing I didn't realize I forgot oh. to mention it too. Like I remember I saw I had a tweet. Remember, you remember like the submarine? Obviously, like the fu- well, it's not funny. People died, but you know, like oh, the, yes, the video yeah, 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 game yeah. submarine. Yes. I had a dream that Jimmy Buffett was on the submarine. Oh my fucking god! You like, and you know what? You, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to tw- I'm gonna have to f- dial up the tweet here. You and PJ Jimmy Gustafson. Buffett are follow linked. me on Twitter at PJ Gustafson for bangers about Jimmy Buffett being on a submarine. 
you and Jimmy Buffett are linked in some horrifying ways. Yeah, here I, we I go. Don't... June twenty second, twenty twenty three. I had a dream last night that Jimmy Buffett was on the submarine. So oh I God. killed Jimmy Buffett twice. 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 So you to Jimmy Buffett's it, So to Jimmy Buffett's loved ones, I am terribly sorry. Oh my God! All right, that 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 got way off the rails there. You just mentioned <laughs> but, that Andy Reid is fat and loves cheeseburgers, and to me, murdering a beloved icon. Yeah. Aside from your Jimmy Buffett, I think the headline tomorrow is uh, off the bench. Co-host Pat Gustafson says Patriots are better positioned for future than Kansas City Chiefs are. Which I mean, I gotta agree with you. Patriots have their drive. <laughs> but look, the uh, you make a good point about Andy Reid, and uh, this was this was something I had written down for a viewer question later. But I'll mention it now. Like for all of the comparisons that have been made between the Chiefs and the Patriots, because it does feel like we have kind of the new Chiefs dynasty. Uh, it's worth noting that when the Patriots went back to back in 03 and 04. Bill Belichick was 51 years old for that second Super Bowl. So Andy Reid being 65, like these these dynasties, if the Chiefs dynasty is to continue, uh, it's going to be in a different way because it's not going to be this you know same head coach quarterback combination for the duration of it. Whether Andy Reid you know retires after this season or not, um, you have to imagine he's not going to have the kind of longevity that Bill and Tom had, where they were together for you know after they won the back to backs, they were together for another. 15 years like Andy Reid is not going to be coaching until he's he's 80 years old it's just not going to happen so um yes that's definitely something interesting to keep an eye on for the Chiefs uh but Pat let's move on to the coaching carousel with some other coaches around the league mentioned it before but Ben Johnson staying in Detroit that news breaking today um this one definitely surprised me uh, I, I guess it was less surprising after Schefter kind of came out from being on the Pat McAfee show saying that you know it was not a guarantee that he was going to get the commander's job for a while it seemed like that was a lock and once that came out I was like oh like there's only two jobs open like I guess he might stay, and he's going to say. Um, you, you have it down here that apparently he had a pretty lofty asking price. That is not like that hasn't been fully confirmed. That's just what Schefter's saying, and he's I guess Ben right though. Like he, when he, he reports is, something like that, I tend to believe it. That that's fair. I mean, Johnson's agent did come out though and say that uh, that wasn't necessarily true, and it, and it makes me wonder wasn't necessarily because necessarily true. Well, it makes it makes me wonder because coordinators only make you know a couple mil a year. We don't we don't tend to get exact figures on what coordinators make, but it's like if I find it hard to believe that if he was offered eleven million as opposed to his fifteen million asking price, that he wouldn't have taken it because that's life changing money. But maybe he just likes it in Detroit. Look, I like him in Detroit. I'm yeah, glad that he's sticking around for fantasy but my purposes. Is, yeah, go ahead. Is he the next Eric Benemy? Do we have another Eric Benemy on our hands here? I understand it's different in the sense that, like, oh, Eric Benemy doesn't call plays. Uh, who cares? One, who cares? That doesn't mean anything. But, um, but this is now two years in a row now where he could have had a job if he wanted it, and mm -hmm. he turned it down. And like we said, there's no indication that this Detroit team is going to fall off. But the Kansas City team didn't fall off either. It was just Eric Benemy. Who, mm -hmm. in his perception that kind of fell off. Obviously, if this happens like for a third time next year, then I think there will be serious doubts over whether Ben Johnson will be a head coach. But especially if he has these kind of high asking prices here, it's just it's it's just it's just bizarre to me because like what what left does he have to prove? Like, does he think calling plays in Detroit as the offensive coordinator is a better gig than being a head coach and probably calling plays? I don't know. I, I really don't know. But and Schefter also had a comment that said not everyone is cut out 
to be a head coach. And it's just like, is that is was that also shade at Johnson? Like, is he hearing that Ben Johnson just might not be head coach material? Because like, like I said, the guy's got nothing to prove. The guy should have mm. been the first guy on every team's list, and uh, he was. But for him to not get hired by the first five teams or whatever, and now to be here, it's just. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but that that was that was something that I was thinking about earlier. It, it's it's an interesting comparison you make. I I find the main difference, obviously, is that you know Bienemy had Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, and so I find it a lot easier to take some credit away from Bienemy than I do taking credit away from Ben Johnson, who has turned Jared Goff into you know not a great quarterback, but has certainly led him into a comfort zone of sorts um, with this Lions team. Like you. Look, flat out, you got to be more creative as a play caller to get good production out of Jared Goff than you do out of Patrick Mahomes. So I, I know Ben Johnson was also blessed with a, a great O-line and, and very good skill players that, you know, he didn't necessarily have a hand in putting those guys in place. Um, like that, that's just great drafting and great scouting by Brad Holmes. Shout out to him, by the way. He's killed it as the Lions oh GM. Oh, my God. He's the best um, GM in the league. No just question. a, a dominant performance. Yes, a dominant performance by him over the last couple of years. Um, but, I, yeah, I think – I don't know. Ben Johnson said he just he wants to win a Super Bowl, so I, he certainly has a better chance of doing that as the OC in Detroit than he does as the head coach in Washington. Uh, the Commanders Whoa. are, yeah, the Commanders are a, a project, and I, I understand. Like he's, I think he's going to have. There's no reason for me to believe that as an offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson is going to fall off in any sort of major way next year. So I think he's like, I'm just going to wait until the next coaching cycle and get maybe better opportunities than Washington and Seattle. That's- it is also unfortunate, though, that like a team like Los Angeles, who was a really appealing spot, they had their guy all along. Yeah, I like, mean, it was gonna yeah. be it was gonna be Jim Harbaugh, and if it wasn't Jim Harbaugh, all signs point that it was gonna be Mike Vrabel. Like sure. that, he was basically at best starting off third in that yeah. battle. So, like, maybe you're right. Like, maybe a really appealing job. Well, but like, God, like, like, say Andy Reid does retire, and the Chiefs call Ben Johnson. Like, is this guy going to be like, oh, no, 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 I'm staying in Detroit. I imagine imagine he'd take that job, but that is, man, that would be, at least from a a speculative perspective, that would be a nightmare for the league. We would would see him go to KC and be like, you got to be fucking kidding me after maybe he would fail as a head coach you never know with these guys but that would be in the moment like fuck me yeah and another guy who similar situation but i think it's a different situation because he's that much younger that's bobby slowick who is sticking around in houston also thrilled rejoice cj stroud great everyone bobby slowick i could see it you know obviously ben i think ben johnson's only 39 so maybe they're they are around they're both young slowick's 36 so uh, still a bit younger and Again, there's no indication of any fall off for Bobby Sloak. Like Bobby Sloak's stock is only going to go up. Like with Ben Johnson's, it feels like Ben Johnson's stock is close to peaking, if not at yeah. its peak. Bobby Sloak has a lot more room to go. So I understand that. And um, Gerard Johnson, who is also a hot offensive coordinator candidate as a quarterback's coach, is coming back. He is not only a future offensive coordinator, he is a future head coach as well in this league, Gerard Johnson. So that is humongous for the development of C.J. Stroud. And we, we, we talked the Texans up a couple weeks ago a lot when they got eliminated, and that, that is that is huge. But with all these hirings and then Johnson and Slowick, it, it's left these last two teams with kind of a less-than-inspiring candidate pool. 
Yeah, it, it has. And just uh, one quick note on those two again is as as we get into um, you know the fantasy analysis of these moves in the future and uh, you know head toward next season, you know we we won't be super super fantasy heavy um, until you know the the summer months, but. You guys will learn one thing about me very quickly, especially if you're new to the podcast, is that with my early round picks, I love me some continuity. I do not like taking risks. And so Bobby Slowick sticking around, Ben Johnson sticking around have, to me, made you know these stud Lions skill players and stud Texan skill players very, very appealing to me in the early rounds. Yeah, I was going to say the, te- the Texans don't quite have a, a first-round darling no, the, not a first rounder. Do. The Lions sure. arguably have two. I mean, I think uh, they I, certainly I, have two. In PPR you, leagues, I think certainly. Who would you have gun two. to your head? Who are you going to take right now, Amon Ra or Gibbs? PPR. I would take Amon Ra. I, I would too, but I am head, but I already, love even with David Montgomery, as someone that was not very high on Jameer Gibbs going into this year, I am sky high on Jameer just Gibbs already, and it is January. passes passes the eye test, passes everything, and now has you know the same. He's running it back with the same guys, next and he's year, kind so. of dispelled the whole can't be can't score touchdowns in the red zone kind of deal. Right. Like he can realistically be a very effective three down back, even with a guy like David Montgomery, who is not just a vulture. Montgomery's more than that, but mm-hmm. that's what he does best is score touchdowns. Yeah. So even with that, we saw Gibbs thrive. So yeah, so but, don't. Don't be surprised if we're sitting here in uh you know six months or whatever, and uh, I'm telling you guys, that, or I guess like eight nine months, that uh, I'm I'm telling you guys my fantasy team is comprised of like seventy percent lions and Texans because uh, I am all the way in lions on both and of tigers those and Texans. Oh my! <laughs> I mean, oh my! Uh, but Pat, yeah, the uh, some of these other teams yeah. that that have hired head coaches is, uh, now. The the pool has dwindled for for sure um, with some of these OCs sticking around, and some of these hires have also been you know not out of left field, but maybe not who we initially expected. Pat, both of us had a bit of an inkling that this would at least be a good fit. I think you flat out called it last week that Dave Canales would be the Panthers head coach. So that is uh, that is a big one there. Dave Canales hired as the Panthers head coach now. You know after kind of completing his reclamation project on uh, both Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield, he gets to go work with. Bryce Young, so I'm very excited to see. Again, we mentioned last week how it's a different situation. Bryce Young's not a journeyman. He's not an older guy, but you still love seeing a guy who has had success with underperforming quarterbacks, um, you know, go to a young underperforming quarterback and hope he can figure things out. So Dave Canales is also bringing Brad Idzik with him as his offensive coordinator. Idzik was with Canales with both the Bucks and the Seahawks as the wide receivers coach. Idzik will not call plays, which I think is uh, probably a good thing, probably the right move. Dave Canales will hold that responsibility which he did so well in Tampa Bay on the offense. And, and Harold Goodwin as well is going with him, who is a veteran. He's going to be his assistant head coach, run game coordinator. He got some head coach fanfare probably about a decade ago at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's good to have kind of, uh, you know, with two young guys running your offense in a young quarterback, it, it will be nice to have that sort of veteran presence there in, in Harold Goodwin. I, I love the hire. I love, I love it. You know, yeah. I talked about... I like Brian Callen. I like this one better. Uh, I'll be completely honest. You know, like we, right when they fired Frank Reich, I said they need a veteran. Like they need someone who is going to reel in Bryce Young. In my opinion, just completely changed on that. No, because you know who's who's getting stuff out of these young quarterbacks? Young guys, young coaches. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, youth is, well, that's not unfortunate. I mean, it just, it is what it is. Youth is what's coming. Like we, we yeah. saw fucking Bill Belichick. Not get a job. Continue to come. Skip's been coming. He's gonna continue to come. It's coming. Continue. It's coming. Um, damn it. But we saw Bill Belichick, the best coach in NFL history, 
or second at worst. Sorry, Vince Lombardi. Duh. Oh, but fuck. I'll take no. Belichick. Um, <laughs> not get hired. Not yeah. get hired. And only get an interview with one team or two. Uh, one team? One? He only interviewed with the Falcons. Yeah, he didn't get one in Los Angeles, did he? I don't know why no. I thought he did for a second, but. Speculation but, um, that he could have. Uh, no, we no, have not yelled not. about Arthur Smith. Hang tight. Um, <laughs> someone the, we'll get there. So, someone in the chat just asked that. But, um, but yeah, I love the Dave Canales hire. And, and honestly, um, the, yeah, that was a surprise, at least not for us, but, you know, for conventional wisdom. What was conventional wisdom was the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh. Absolutely. Which seemed like it was going to happen all along. Um, you, you posed a funny question here. Um, or no, that was actually a, a viewer question that posed it. I guess we kind of talk about that now. Is Harbaugh going to Harbaugh, or are the Chargers going to charge him? Yeah. yeah. Unstoppable force versus an immovable object here. Um, I, I think harbaugh is gonna harbaugh look that like the charger thing that their culture of choking like that's ultimately a culture thing right i think harbaugh if you are going to bring in anybody that is going to build their own culture and get shit in order it's jim harbaugh i think exactly. he's the perfect hire for a team that has kind of been cursed by these situations like if they look if they run into a situation next year let's say he turns them around gets the chargers in the playoffs they're facing a, a halftime deficit or a, even a big halftime deficit. He is going to be the guy that's like, fucking relax. Like, you've he's got call this. call the guy in the stands this. that's wearing the binoculars, and he's going to yeah. tell him to give, <laughs> to give me the good stuff. <laughs> no, but you're right. Spygate 2.0. You're absolutely right. And we talked about how the Chargers are in kind of a tough spot with cap space. I mean, there's always workarounds. There, there's always workarounds to get under, you know, to get themselves some space here. But... They still have Justin Herbert. We'll see what they do at running back. I mean, they seems very, very unlikely that friend of the podcast, Austin Eckler, will return. Um, yeah. But, you know, hopefully Keenan Allen gets healthy. Well, he was pretty healthy most of the year, and Mike Williams gets healthy. Like, the mm. pieces are there. And, like, I know you're a huge Justin Herbert guy, and I think it's justified, but it's like I am personally not ready to put him in the elite tier of quarterbacks until we really see it. Yeah. I mean, I think he's at the top of the second tier. But I'm not ready to put him with these other guys until we see it. And I think Jim Harbaugh, from a culture standpoint and from an X's and O standpoint, is a great guy to get hit Herbert to that next level. I think it's certainly now or never for you know Justin Herbert. Not necessarily for the Chargers. They're going to give Harbaugh uh, some time to turn this around. I, I would assume based on the cap situation, like it might not be easy to completely come out from underneath that in just one year. But look, they've got some time. Herbert's still young. They've got Herbert locked up. I believe Herbert got extended to a big money deal. Um, so Herbert's going to Herbert's going to be around. And uh, yeah, look, Harbaugh is a master team builder, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do with this Chargers team. What kind of players he prioritizes. Uh, Pat, I'll tell you one thing. I'm watching watching for in the draft and that I want to see really bad is Brock Bowers going to this Chargers team. Oh. I want to see that so bad. Pair him with uh, Justin Herbert and just kind of get this offense humming. Just feels like a move I'll that uh, what, that he we, would we've make. Got, we've got a lot of um we've got a lot of we're going to talk a lot about the draft. We don't need to get into it now, but the skill position players in this draft in the first two rounds of this year's draft it's a fucking circle jerk for fantasy dynasty leagues. Not if really at running back though, but receiver in, is cares. loaded. And there's yeah, even a couple matter. good tight ends, quarterback. Yeah. Like, this is going to be a dynasty football, fantasy football dream. But, it is. but Brock Bowers would be a thing of beauty in, in Los was, Angeles. I mean, yeah, I, now you've, 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 it did not take very long to sell me on the fact that that is the best <laughs> place. Um, the, the, the best place for him to go. And that would be a hell um, of a another game. guy we talked about last week too 
is Raheem Morris. I kind mm. of predicted him to Seattle. I was wrong. But he did get a head coaching gig in Atlanta. And um, here, you kind of, based on what you have put in here, I think we kind of disagree a little bit on uh, on the take here. So Yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm not super excited about the Raheem Morris hire. Um, I mean, I'm not ready to shit all over it because I don't like know any of this for a fact that he's not, you know, cut out to be a head coach. Like that things haven't changed, but I just feel like the Falcons had a chance to go after or or potentially hire a big name, whether it was Belichick or I mean, I think they were kind of out of the Harbaugh sweepstakes to begin with. But I feel like the the Falcons had a chance to go with a higher upside coach is is the way I would put it. And they went with a guy who was the head coach for the Bucks for three years. And in those three years, he went three and 13, 10 and six and four and 12. Granted, that was over a decade ago. That was from 2009 to 2011. But still, that was, you know, that was under his hand. And then he was the Falcons interim head coach in 2020 and led them to a four and seven record. Granted, he did take over what was then an 0 and five Falcons team. But I'm just not convinced that this was you know, the best candidate. I feel like the Falcons may have been enamored by Morris nailing the interview process, which that's what's going to happen when you, uh, you know, have experience in the organization. And, you know, I'm sure he sold them on, I'm ready to, to have this second or I guess third chance, however you want to look at it, to be a head coach. Um, for me, it's just, it's a hire that I wouldn't be surprised to see flame out and to see him put together similar seasons to what Arthur Smith did seven and 10, eight and nine, that kind of thing. Uh, whereas like, I, I guess I just would have swung a little bit more for the fences, made a bigger play for a Slowick or a Johnson. And maybe you can't convince those guys to come to your team. Maybe they didn't want to, maybe they weren't offered, whatever it was. But I just, I was not particularly moved by the Raheem Morris. hire. I, I will say though, I thought if they weren't going to make a big move, they were going to hire Bill Belichick. Well, that's, that's as if that's not a big move. I mean, a big move for one of these a younger flashy, offensive minds. Younger, yeah. You think they would have just went with Bill Belichick and not Raheem yeah. Morris? But at the same time, I think Raheem Morris deserves another shot. It has been 13 years since he was a head coach, which, admittedly, he was not ready for at, mm-hmm. at the time in Tampa Bay. And similar to you know, I was kind of talking about with Dan Campbell. Players rave over Raheem Morris in Los Angeles. Like this guy is clearly a leader. And then the, but then the question is, for a defensive head coach, who do you bring in? And he brought over Zach Robinson with him. Yes, I love that Which I think part. is humongous. Which I think is humongous. The next heir apparent of the uh, Sean McVay tree, the budding Sean yeah. McVay tree, Kevin O'Connell, Zach Taylor, Shane Waldron, etc. <clears throat> He's the next big star in there. And whoever's playing quarterback for that team is in much better hands now than they were with, um, <clears throat> with, with Arthur Smith. So... I, I like the hire, like you said. Yeah, they probably could have um, gone for more of a, um, you know, more of a young offensive mind. But at the end of the day, they don't like we talked about it with the Panthers, like or the Chargers. Like they have a set quarterback that needs mentoring, needs tutelage. Falcons don't have anything right now. No, no, they so, like, sure I, don't. Honestly, I think it was fair for them to go defensive. I just figured it would have been Bill Belichick, but uh, good on Raheem Morris, who it seems you know. It was one of these guys like Leslie Frazier, for example, who's now past his prime, it seems, that wasn't ever going to get another shot, and he probably deserves it. Uh, Vance Joseph, uh, who's still still in Denver having the time of his life, is another guy in a similar vein. We'll see if Steve Wilkes as well, who got some looks this year too. Uh, But it's good to see a guy like Raheem Morris get a second chance here. Um, Yeah, I had to shut my camera off because I I don't know if you, you guys picked up on it, but like my dad is like, doing some golf exercise where he's like whacking a kickball against the wall. Like, I don't know if you could hear it. 
So I proceeded to... Um, I couldn't hear it, in fairness. Oh, you couldn't hear it, okay, because I no. proceeded to get up, open the door, and say, quote, are you fucking shitting me? And then just close the door. <laughs> That's and fair. It has, it has it has ceased to exist. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, just what, from, one more note on the, on the Morris hire. Um, like, I, I think you can overcome having an average head coach, if that's what Morris turns out to be, if you surround yourself with really good coordinators. And I agree with you. I am, you know, high on the potential of Zach Robinson. Again, it seems like anybody that McVay has sneezed near has, has put together a pretty good career in the NFL as a coach. Um, and look, this guy has risen, Zach Robinson, risen up the ranks with the Rams, been there since 2019, started as an assistant quarterback coach, then assistant wide receiver coach before ending up as the sole or main quarterback coach and passing game coordinator for the last two seasons. Um, um, it's just always good to have a McVay disciple on your offense. So I am excited for, you know, the Falcons offense. I, I am this. I definitely think this is going to be an upgrade for a guy, at least a slight upgrade for a guy like Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts and Drake. All these guys that we mentioned weeks ago had probably nowhere to go, but up. Um, so I'm still excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm still excited for those guys. I'm going to, I am probably this week going to make my like initial fantasy football ranks for 2024 i don't want to get any other ranks in my head anytime i scroll past ranks like on twitter or whatever i get them out because i don't want to have any prior sort of ideas of what i put together i feel like when i put my list together Bijan robinson's gonna be rb3 at worst so i'm gonna i'm at excited worst. to see Ooh, where okay. yeah where i end up having these uh these falcons and such i, I do think zach robinson is going to be good news yeah I he can only be good news, you know. Look at the Rams this year. Obviously, he wasn't the guy calling the shots completely, but look at what they did with Kyron Williams. Look what, yeah. you know, Look at what they got out of ancient Matthew Stafford. Like, I, I think I think that's a a great hire for a team that's kind of in flux. And I mean, that kind of leaves us to our last two teams here: Seattle and Washington. Washington mainly the team in flux, and Washington is mainly the team right now where it's like. Where do they go? So, like, based yeah. on based on candidates that have not either said they're staying or what, they have interviewed Eric Binemy, their own offense coordinator, Aaron Glenn, uh, the Lions' defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, who we talked about, Dan Quinn, and, Ra- and Ravens' defensive line coach, Anthony Weaver. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that they only have one offensive coach when everyone kind of said that, oh, they'd be going offensive to – help out, you know, whoever, Drew Drake May or Jane Daniels, whoever they end up with here. So it's a bit bizarre, this path they're going, which is why I believe the Ben Johnson rumors initially when I heard them, because it just made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a weird sort of pool that they're picking <clears throat> from now. Um, I... I I'm not sure which direction they're going to go. It seems like the commanders are just continuing to commander here. And if, you know, if Eric Bieniemy was really a, uh, a compelling potential hire for them, I think he probably would have had the job by now. Um, I did see a report that the commanders were expected to finish up their interviews by today, Tuesday. Um, so, you know, as soon as this podcast or as soon as some other folks are listening to this podcast on Spotify, they may have hired their coach. And one thing to note about that is that if, you know, Mike McDonald of the Ravens was a serious candidate. Um, They haven't been able to interview him until after the Ravens got eliminated. So that tells me he's certainly a a contender for this, or at least that uh, Anthony Weaver is. So somebody on the Ravens, I think, is going to end up as the head coach here in Washington. And the only reason I don't think it's Mike McDonald, because I seem to, you know, I'm very sold that he is going to be in Seattle, which makes a lot of sense for Seattle. Which is also why I um, kind of predicted Raheem Morris, because I think going in a defensive direction here is a fair move for here. And, you know, the, you know, it was basically him, a hero of Arrow from Carolina, Dan Quinn, 
Uh, Patrick Graham, do not. He is not for sale. Do not take him. He was at <laughs> Antonio Pierce's uh, introductory press conference. He's sticking around. He is a future head coach, though. And again, and then it's Mike Kafka and Frank Smith, Miami's offensive coordinator. So it's like again, just not a ton of super inspiring picks. Which le- out of that list, McDonald is by far the most inspiring. And I think the least inspiring is Dan Quinn, which is exactly why I think Washington's going to hire him. Oh, my God. You go from Ron Rivera to Dan Quinn. Like, yeah, why? They have new ownership. I I hope the new ownership, I'm giving them a little more credit to not go with just the dumbest possible or like (laughs) lowest upside possible play. And I, I know Dan Quinn coached in a Super Bowl. I understand that. He also spearheaded the biggest Super Bowl collapse of all time. So, like, I'm not super keen on giving this guy a head head coaching game. That's true. Um, But, Pat, as far as our official predictions for where, you know, who's going to end up coaching these teams, we both have Mike McDonald to the Seahawks. Uh, You have predicted Dan Quinn to the Commanders. I am going to go with Anthony Weaver, uh, also a Ravens coach, assistant head coach, or associate head coach, excuse me, which I did not realize he was in addition to being their D-line coach. So, you know, a guy with a associate head coach experience certainly that moves the needle in my head a little bit for a guy you're considering for your actual head coach and uh coming off of coaching what a just a great overall unit with the Ravens defense um I think he's uh he's a he's a viable candidate for sure and, and a much more exciting one than a guy like Dan Quinn now folks is the moment you've all been waiting for and I hate to say it but you're gonna be disappointed in my answer because I don't hate the Steelers hiring Arthur Smith as their <laughs> offensive coordinator. I don't hate it at all. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Me, Neither do I. Um, yeah. And that's going to be a surprise to some people. I, I will say this. To me, it does not feel like a make-or-break move either way. I think what the Steelers have done is hired a guy who is going to be just fine. He's not gonna blow your mind with what he does on the offensive side of the ball he's not gonna be as frustrating as he was in Atlanta and I think that's that's exactly I think that's a key thing for people to know and I did see somebody mention how you know Mike Tomlin let Matt Canada kind of burn his fucking offense to the ground for so long and to that I say Matt Canada by all accounts was just an incredibly uncreative play caller and game planner Arthur Smith is not that. Arthur Smith, man, my Ar- man's running. Yeah, my man's running jet sweeps with John U. Smith. He is anything but predictable. Our Arthur Smith's issue was strictly personnel related, and I think Mike Tomlin will rein that in if there's any of it coming with Arthur Smith. If he's seeing that Arthur Smith is trying to roll out Darnell Washington for a few too many tight end screens, I think he's going to put that to a stop pretty quickly. Uh, it's it's hard to judge Arthur Smith overall and objectively because, look, his prior experience as an offensive coordinator came with the Titans. And yes, while he was there, that was Derrick Henry at the peak of his powers. I am inclined to not give Arthur Smith too much credit for that. Derrick Henry is a superhuman running back, and I also think that Derrick Henry being such an insane talent is what allowed, you know, Arthur Smith to drag career years out career years out of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill had his two best statistical seasons under Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator. So, I'm not ready to give Arthur like a ton of credit for that i'll give him a little bit for having like he didn't fuck anything up right he just he let he did the right things with that offense he gave derrick henry almost 400 carries one year like i i just think i think it's a fine hire i don't think he's gonna fuck anything up too bad which was what made it so frustrating in atlanta as we talked about week after week after week with how yeah 
he just spoon fed Derrick Henry the ball and then just did not spoon feed his top ten weapons that you know that they you know that he probably had a hand in drafting. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see what it's like again for him. <clears throat> you know, similarly in Tennessee, the head coach is a defensive head coach, so he's gonna you know he's gonna call plays. He's probably gonna have a lot of say in the, in the offense here. Um, we'll, we'll see if, yeah, the Darnell Washington jet sweep would just be fucking hysterical. <laughs> I need, I, ex- I need, I need I at least it. one. <clears throat> I so like, it. But now, I mean, uh, an interesting question here is like, hey, um, Derrick Henry, bringing him over? Like, <laughs> I mean, Najee I mean, Harris is just like a terrible version of Derrick Henry. So like, <laughs> <laughs> Najee came on at the end of the year. I, I don't see that happening because... I think if anything, Derrick Henry would have would have and still could, I guess, follow Mike Vrabel somewhere uh, if the situation calls for it. I don't think Derrick Henry's too tied to Arthur Smith because again, that was just Derrick Henry's prime. I'm bigger yeah. than you. I'm a run the fuck over yeah. everybody. And, and for all we know, Arthur Smith may have wanted to give Deion Lewis some more carries with that Titans team. And Mike Vrabel said, "Hey, buddy, we have Derrick Henry. Shut the fuck up." So Godwin you know, Bouquet is gonna run like crazy <laughs> this year. Is it's hard to know exactly how that played out. Um, so, no, I don't expect Henry to follow him to the Steelers. I do expect this to be an upgrade, though, for the Steelers' offensive skill players in fantasy in particular. But, not not a huge one, but an upgrade. There will be no upgrade if Kenny Pickett is their quarterback or possibly that's if Mason true. Rudolph is their quarterback. I think that's the oh biggest thing here is, like, we've seen Arthur Smith fail to get something out of Desmond Ritter, who, at this point, Kenny Pickett isn't a whole lot better than Kenny Pickett is no, better than No, he's not. So like, Same draft class, too. Can Arthur Smith get something out of Kenny Pickett, which he could not do for Desmond Ritter? We'll see, because that's gonna be that's gonna be the biggest thing here. And again, it will be a reflection of Arthur Smith. So time will tell, probably relatively quickly. You know how successful this Steelers offense is gonna be. We talked about a couple weeks ago how they're just kind of stuck in this like nine and eight. I wouldn't call it purgatory, but like mm. not good enough to contend for Super Bowl, not bad enough to get good draft picks. So like they need to do something to remove themselves in either direction honestly and yeah but an in, in, inoffensive hire i guess everyone's just mad because like at the end of the day it's like fantasy rots our brains sure. like 100 fantasy football is not football at the end of the day and obviously like yes arthur smith should have used you know his young weapons more of course obviously but like fantasy football has nothing to do with how you can scheme up an offense though and arthur smith knows a lot more about that than us so um Head Time coaching is tell. much different than being an offensive coordinator. Like people got to just remember that in general. Like there are so many examples of guys who have been successful OCs and terrible head coaches. Like I've seen people just Hello, as Josh McDaniels. I, I've seen people just as like uh, tepid about the idea of Brandon Staley coming to their team as a defensive coordinator. I'm like, Insane. that's a great hire. Like that would be a great. The, like yeah, I understand the all these guys that, have been bad, is... but. Yeah, I, I th- like all these guys have left bad taste in our mouths recently because of what they've done as a head coach. But it's like it's not doesn't carry over like that. It's like if this guy was good at that coordinating job before he was a head coach, he's not going to suddenly be fucking terrible at it after. Be- we saw that you make perfect example, Josh McDaniels before and after Denver. He was a great OC in New England for both of those stretches. So it's just they're, they're different things. I think we have to remember that at times. I, I did make one joke about Arthur Smith, though, on Twitter uh, when the Steelers rumors were coming about. I was like, yeah, Arthur Smith's about to go 
go to a team that already has its backup running back infringing on the starters carries has a number one wide receiver that is probably not getting enough targets has a tight end that has you know immense ability but has been bogged down by injuries and has a quarterback that is a bust from the 2022 draft uh-huh. man's got a type so he's it'll be what, interesting though, someone needs to unleash george pickens oh we, we, we don't need to get into it but that dude has so much talent and he showed it in person at the end of the year that is a guy that I want to be so high on entering this season, but I just don't know if I can do it. I, but I, I, that's a conversation I, I, for yeah, another day. I do too, but man, I also am just averse to Devo receivers when they prove themselves to be that before they've actually accomplished anything notable on the field. So well, we will get to that, though, throughout the course of the offseason for sure. Um, and then, Pat, the last note here on coordinators, this being a big one, the Eagles have hired Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator and Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator. To me, this was you mentioned inoffensive hires. This is uh, this is a little bit step beyond inoffensive, but this yeah. to me is like we're going to go out and get the name brand coordinators like on both sides of the ball. These are probably the biggest names from this past season of guys to emerge as candidates for coordinator jobs. Yeah. Um, they both did fairly, I guess, decent jobs this past season. I mean, the Chargers didn't move any super big needles, but regardless, decent jobs. And uh, I think this is the perfect way to gauge. Um, get a measuring stick on exactly what Nick Sirianni is as a head coach. Because again, neither of these guys, at least we have, we don't at least have great evidence for are like superstar best coordinator in the league type of guys. And at least anymore, I think these guys are good, not great coordinators. And so now it's like, all right, Sirianni, if you don't get something out of this team, now that we've given you guys who we at least know are solid, then we don't know what to do with you. Cause you're not going to get a group of they didn't go out and get a group of coordinators that could bottom out the way that their coordinators did this season. Exactly. They went bold last time in getting Brian Johnson and Sean Desai, guys who had never been coordinators before, to getting two guys who we've seen have success. Kellen Moore, you know, ran a good offense in Dallas. And Vic Fangio is one of the more respected defensive minds in all of football. Mm. So like in theory, like well, you know, it's not like what could possibly go wrong, but it's just like it might not be great, but like it's not going to be another disaster. But yeah, huge make or break year for Nick Sirianni, and I think he gave himself a bit of a cushion here with yeah. with the personnel around him. And we'll see because again, very very talented roster. Again, they uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be contenders again entering next year, but time will tell. Absolutely, and then we will finish out with our viewer questions. I guess I'll hit the thing. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. Okay, first viewer question is something we alluded to before, but Pat, is this the last year that I already have my answer to this? Is this the last year for the Chiefs Super Bowl window? Absolutely. Losing a lot of losing a lot of players from cap and retiring. This question from Ben Grizz. Um, no, but this is what made me look into the note I mentioned before about Andy Reid's age and how yeah. this dynasty or potential dynasty is going to have to take a different form than the Patriots did because we're not going to have the same quarterback coach combination for, you know, a long time going forward. Um, the Super Bowl window is as open for as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback, Agreed. and that's going to be for the next decade. You know, we saw when Brady went to Tampa, their Super Bowl window automatically opened. Opened. Patrick yeah. Mahomes is today's Tom Brady, obviously not with quite the accolades. He very well may end up with the same accolades that Tom Brady has. Um, but, yeah, as long as he's there, I mean, there's been talk, some talks about, like, Kelsey retiring. I don't think that's going to happen. Will he retire soon? Yes. Like, does sure, he only have maybe one enough. or two years more left in him? Sure. But 
as long as you get Mahomes, and then the big thing is whoever does succeed Andy Reid, whether it is this next year or the year after that. And they need to make sure that they have someone who is ready to jump right in with the best quarterback in the league and keep up the momentum. Whether they win this Super Bowl or not, whether Andy Reid's there or not, they need to plan for the future. But as long as Mahomes is there, there will always be a chance for them. Yeah, the, the window is not closing. It just, there are things that could happen that will make it less automatic for the Chiefs to reach this point every year, which is why I think, you know, not that they weren't already going to make the most of this opportunity, but I think bagging this Super Bowl here is uh, it, it, certainly going to be important, you know, in terms of the overall dynasty and, and viewing it in the future, because like, have I mentioned the high floor of having the quarterback coach combo? Um, they may be very well looking for a different coach in short order. So this won't be the Super Bowl window will always be open, but it won't be as high of a floor, I don't think, depending on what the coaches that they bring in. And there are some other changes that the Chiefs are going to be dealing with potentially as early as this offseason. Chris Jones may very well uh, leave Kansas City this offseason. He was, uh, they had that standoff early this year before finally settle, settling on a one year deal. Um, if the Kelsey retirement thing were to come to pass, That'd be a major adjustment on the offensive side of the ball. So the Chiefs offense or the Chiefs dynasty or team, whatever you want to call it, is going to have to certainly evolve maybe more than they would like to in short order. But uh, no, the, the Super Bowl window is not closed by any stretch of the imagination. And then, Pat, March Madness <laughs> Final Four predictions. This is coming from Canera Bread. So for those of you that were around, uh, you know, March last year, you will know that we we talk about March Madness quite a bit on this pod once it gets going. I think it's the best sporting event of the year. We're both Connecticut guys, as you see Pat. Very relevant his, for us his, this year again. Yeah, you see Pat showing Even off more his relevant Central Connecticut for some of us. shirt. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing a Clemson shirt right now. That's irrelevant. I'm a UConn guy, obviously. Um, so, yeah, we love to talk us some college basketball. And this is certainly asking a bit too early. But final four predictions, Pat. I am going with UConn, Tennessee, Arizona, and here's my out of left field, sort of, but I guess it's not that bad. McNeese State. So McNeese State, for those of you that don't know, people. yeah, what, what is it? What's his fucking name? Will Wade? Is that who it is from yes, LSU? From, uh, from LSU, yeah. yeah. Will, Will Wade was formerly LSU's basketball coach when they were a pretty successful program and got ousted for various recruiting violations, I believe. Um, yes. And long story short, stumbled, stumbled into McNeese State, who is, yes, getting votes in the A people so this is a mid-major that you might have never heard of but Southland they may very conference. well they, they're gonna yeah they're gonna earn themselves what what does that translate to like a potentially like a six seat? or seven seat you, well no based on the ap vote i mean that's like oh with if the ap vote i don't think it could change closer but, to like an 11 or a 12 you think well because i'm doing i'm trying to do the math because like i mean you got 25 teams in the ap people that that takes you up to what the five yeah every every team in that is at least a five or six that i mean there was one year where smu didn't even make the tournament and they were ranked in the ap poll so like okay so we may we'll still be looking at a double digit yeah we'll still be looking at a double digit just from the southland alone and obviously they cannot trip up in that southland yeah they need to win that to, to get there but yeah, a crazy story. I was just looking at the AP poll. And so, obviously, I've got UConn as well. I've got North Carolina, who's won 10 straight, who is, uh, does not appear like they are going to cover the nine-point spread as they are currently down eight against Georgia Tech right now. Oh, if dear. I was a betting man, I would be very unhappy about that. <laughs> is, is but let's go North Georgia Carolina, because, which is where they were supposed yes. to be last year. Iowa State's a giant killer. You know, they beat Houston. Mm-hmm. They uh, they won another big game this week. I'm blanking Texas. No, I don't know. But they've won a couple big games. Iowa State. And last but not least, give me Central Connecticut, man. Oh, my the first ever 16 seed to make the Final Four. Central, 
Okay. We're at the minute 30, but I'm going on a tirade. Hour 30. Continue. Central Connecticut basketball is back. So in order to host an NEC conference tournament game, you must be in the top four in the conference. The last time Central hosted an NEC tournament game was 2011. Since they have even been in the top half of their conference, mm-hmm. they are six and one in conference play, play right now. Mm-hmm. Ken Palm and Torvik has them as one of the top two candidates. I'm going to a game on Thursday. Um, I went there for four years. I covered the basketball team for three. It was miserable. They were miserable. They are a joke. The athletics department has no funding. They are a joke. But Patrick Sellers, our lord and savior is here to bring Central. New Britain is the basketball capital of Connecticut. Oh, not stores. For fuck's sake. Okay. It is New Britain. Uh-huh. It is New Britain. I so, would sooner tab Uncasville as the capital <laughs> than fucking I will Central say this. If, I've already said, I've already threatened that if um, they, are, they do make the tournament and it is in a reasonable spot, there's games in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It might have to happen. Or go to Dayton for the first four. I'll fly to fucking Dayton for the first four because that's where they would be. But the fact that they are even here alone is unbelievable. So Central Connecticut, national champions, basketball capital of the world is New Britain, Connecticut. All right. All right, folks. Uh, That's what we get for talking about college basketball in fucking January. So uh, we're going to sign off. This is only January. This this is only January, as our pal John Rothstein would say. Um, all right, well, on tap for next week. Next week's always an interesting show every year because it, there's, by necessity, two podcasts in between uh, the championship games and the Super Bowl. So it's like, we just talked about the Super Bowl. We, I don't know how much we're going to talk about the Super Bowl next week because we kind of already covered stuff. But there will, certainly, there will certainly be more things in the NFL news cycle that we'll talk about next week, and we'll be here same place, same time. I've got it. I've got it. No, we're not going to be here the same place, same time. We will oh, be you're here right. New time. Same Different place. time next week. We'll be here at 4 p.m. Eastern time next Different week Different time only. next week. Mickey yes. Mouse has me by the cock and balls, so I will not be able to be here for 7.30, but we'll be here for 4 o'clock. And um, maybe the return of the draft. I just had a draft idea pop into my head, so the return oh. of our drafts could possibly be next week. Okay. But I was, I was told somebody wanted me to say something unhinged uh, oh, to end the thing, so I will say... Some of you have noticed I've shaved my mustache. I kind of look like Abraham Lincoln. It would be a shame if this podcast ended the same way Abraham Lincoln did. For Pat Gustafson, I'm Brandon Carney. We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Bye-bye.